when um, my oldest son, Lucas, who was, who was just up here, was much younger, uh, when he was around two or three years old, um, I decided uh, one day that I was going to teach him how to pull up weeds. Um, pull up weeds in, uh, put this little two-year-old to work, you know. Um, uh, in the, we lived in Brooklyn at the time, and we had, um, we didn't have a lot of weeds necessarily, but we had kind of in our back area, there were, there were some weeds that had been growing, and so I decided I'm going to teach him a little bit about this. So I put on some kind of kid-sized work gloves on him and, and, uh, and told him that we were going to do this together. We're going to pull up these weeds and throw them in the trash bag, and, and he loved it. He was just like, this was so much fun for him. But I noticed pretty quickly that, uh, that as Lucas tried to pull up a weed, usually what would happen is he kind of pull the top of it, you know, a little bit, and, and it would leave quite a bit of the weed still in the ground, right? It would leave that, that root in the ground. So I said, you know, let's, why don't we do this together, Lucas? So we kind of went together to, to each weed, and we kind of pulled together to pull that, that weed up all the way to get the root as well, and I tried to teach him, you know, it's important to try to get the root out of it, you know, not just the top of it. I think that went over his head a little bit as a two- or three-year-old, but, but, uh, but working together, we de-weeded all of the, the cracks in our backyard driveway, basically. That was where we were uh, de-weeding. Um, you know, this whole idea of, of getting to the root of the problem is a pretty familiar concept to us, right? That we hear that, that, that phrase, getting to the root of a problem. Um, if you deal with just a, a, a problem or an issue on the surface, you often don't get lasting change, just like uprooting a weed, right? You need to get the root of it to get it all the way out. Um, because if you don't, what happens? The weed just grows back. And if you're dealing with just an issue on the surface, oftentimes the same thing happens, right? The, if the root is still there, you're going to find that problem um, repeating itself. Well, in today's text, what we're going to see is Jesus uh, pushing his disciples to think beyond the surface in a couple of different areas and to get to the root of um, a couple of different issues. We've been going through this, this series over the last few weeks on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, uh, looking at this very famous sermon that Jesus preached on a mountainside uh, that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. And, and so last week, we looked at, at a few verses where Jesus talked about his disciples having a greater righteousness, um, a righteousness that is greater than, specifically, he said, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Um, and so what we, what we kind of introduced last week was talking about what this greater righteousness is all about. It's going beyond just sort of um, a, an external rule following to actually an internal righteousness of the heart. We talked about how ultimately that's, it's, it's Christ's righteousness himself that actually fulfills that, that we need to be clothed in Christ's righteousness, but that once we are, then the Holy Spirit begins to produce this righteousness in our hearts. The Holy Spirit produced righteousness. So what we're going to be doing over the next three weeks is actually looking at how some of those concepts we talked about last week apply in very specific examples that Jesus gives. Um, and so we're going to be looking at kind of the specifics of what this greater righteousness looks like in our lives. And so in today's text, what Jesus tackles, the two topics he looks at are murder and adultery. Um, and those two are one of the Ten Commandments that we just heard Jack read earlier, right? And so Jesus is going to address these two issues of murder and adultery, but we're going to see, like, just like pulling up weeds, that Jesus is, is, is not interested in just sort of the surface level of those commandments, but he's wanting to get to the deeper issues that are behind um, these commandments in, in, in contrast to how the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uh, dealt with these. So my, my sermon title this morning is Digging Deeper. 
And we're going to look at how Jesus digs deeper with these two issues and, and how that applies to us and, and how it, it shows us how this, what this greater righteousness could look like in our lives when we dig deeper um, in, in different areas of our life. So our text today is from Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 30, which is on page 684 in the Pew Bibles, if you'd like to follow along there. So Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 21. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples and to us. Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, You fool, will be danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and he and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Let's pray. Lord, as we hear you, Jesus, speaking with authority, with teaching us, Lord, what it means, what these commandments actually mean, as you're calling us to go deeper, Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear, give us hearts that are receptive, Lord, to your word today, even the challenge of it in our lives and so we, we pray, Lord, as we just sang, again, speak, O Lord, through your word to our hearts, God. Bring us closer to you and to your righteousness in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As I said, over the next three weeks, we're going to be um, address, looking at how Jesus addresses basically six different topics in, in a very similar format. So we'll see a similar format throughout um, these, these verses. He always starts by saying, you have heard it said— and then he quotes sort of what, what that statement is. And then he goes on to say, but I tell you. And then he gives a, an authoritative statement on the topic. Um, so we kind of, we see that contrast in our text today, right? You've heard it said this, but I say to you this. And, and we're going to see that, that sometimes when Jesus says, you have heard it said, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament. He's, he's giving a command, as we saw, that, that in our text, that he gives two commands that are actually from the, the Ten Commandments. Um, but it's important to remember that, that what Jesus said just before this passage, where he says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. So as Jesus says, you have heard it said, he, he's, he's not negating what the Old Testament said. He's not saying, like, you should throw away this commandment. What he's really wanting to do is he's trying to draw out the implications of that statement, um, often criticizing the way that the Pharisees interpreted it, the way that they kind of said this particular statement. In later statements, we'll actually see ways where Jesus 
the thing that he says, for you've heard it said, he actually does negate it. He says he's not talking about that. So we'll, we'll see that in coming weeks. Um, but basically what we're going to see, especially in today's text, again, with these two commands, is that the Pharisees were guilty of just scratching the surface with these commands, and Jesus is wanting to dig deeper. So let's start by looking at that. How, um, what scratching the surface looks like in these two particular areas that Jesus brings out in our text today. Um, so the very first, the first verse, verse 21, Jesus says this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. That command, do not murder, you shall not murder, is again one of the ten commandments that we heard in, from Exodus 20. Um, and for most people, I think even, even just in our broad secular society, most people would agree murdering is wrong, right? That, that you shouldn't take someone's life, you shouldn't murder someone's life. There is, there's some disagreement about, you know, areas where maybe that, that question of, of, of where, where taking someone's life would be justified in the, in the, in the case of, of just war or the death penalty or things like that. But generally, kind of as our, in our interactions with people, in our everyday lives, in our society, we all kind of acknowledge, right, taking the life of another human being is wrong. It's sin. God says that, right? You shall not murder. You shall not commit murder. Um, it's going against God's law. But the reality, we, t- we mentioned this last week, that the, the, the reality is that most people, especially those of us who are gathered here today, we, we're probably not going to murder someone in the course of our life, right? To actually physically take someone's life. Um, so it can be very easy to say, well, I haven't murdered anyone, so I've kept this command. Good to go, right? Check it off the list. Don't murder. Okay, I got that. Um, and, and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law actually kind of followed this kind of interpretation. Remember, what the Pharisees were all about was following external rules so that they could then say, we are righteous. We are really righteous. And so they would say, well, yeah, it says do not murder, and I haven't murdered, so I'm, I'm good to go. I can check that off the list. It's a pretty easy one, right, to check off the list out of the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is interested in something deeper with this command. It's not just about not literally murdering someone. He wants to dig deeper. He, the Pharisees were only scratching the surface with this, as we're, we're going to see. But the other command that Jesus um, brings out in, in verse 27, he says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. And this, again, is, it was one of those Ten Commandments. It's another a law that, that, again, I think most people would sort of agree with, that idea that you should be faithful to your spouse. You shouldn't um, cheat on or, or sleep with someone else who's not your spouse. Although, in our culture, that is not necessarily always the case. You know, as you hear talk of open marriages and things like that, right, that, that some of our culture even would, would not fully agree with this. But for most people, right, we'd say that, that that's, we, we agree, agree with that, right? It shouldn't, you shouldn't cheat on someone who you're married to. Um, but again, it's very easy to scratch the surface on with this, right, to, to sort of say, well, I haven't done that. I haven't, I haven't slept with someone who's not my spouse and pat ourselves in the back. I've kept that command. I'm doing all right, right? Um, but again, Jesus is interested in a deeper uh, greater righteousness than, than just that. I think that sometimes we can have a tendency to think, as long as I'm not committing any major visible sins, I'm doing all right, right? As long as I can kind of just, it looks all right on the outside, it, I can project the appearance of righteousness. And that's what the Pharisees did. Um, as we talked about last week, they were primarily interested in an external rule-following sort of righteousness, to be able to just say, I've, I've kept these, these things. But Jesus was not satisfied with just scratching the surface in these areas. He wants to go deeper. 
So let's start doing that. Let's start digging deeper with these two commands. The first way that Jesus does this, he says in verse 22, he says, you've heard it said, don't murder. But, but he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But if anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Part of what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, what is behind murder? What leads someone to actually murder someone else? And what Jesus says here is that it is anger. Anger is the root that eventually could lead to murder. And he says that if you have this kind of anger towards someone, even if you don't act on it, even if it doesn't actually go all the way to murdering, he says you're still guilty. If you have that anger, that hatred in your heart that could lead to murder, it says you're st- anyone who's, who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Uh, and he also says, right, that, that it's not just about physically assaulting someone that is sinful, you know, kind of physically har- harming someone, but actually attacking them with your words is just as sinful. Um, he said, raka, that, that, that word there is an Aramaic word that's actually an insult in Aramaic that basically means empty-headed or stupid. So if you say that to someone, right, raka, um, or you fool, right? He, he says that you're, these kinds of insults are ju- it will make you just as in danger of judgment, the judgment of hell, right? He says, as actually murdering someone. Jesus is upping the bar here, right, with, with the law. He does the same thing with that adultery commandment where he deepens things in verse 28. He says this. He says, you know, if you've heard it say, do not commit adultery, but I say, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And again, that could apply both men and women here, right? That anyone who looks at someone lustfully. Again, what Jesus is doing here says, what, what is it that's behind adultery? What leads to adultery? It is lust. It starts there. And it can produce, it can lead ultimately to the act of adultery. He sees lust as the deeper issue that's under the act of adultery. And so he says that, again, even if you look at someone lustfully, if you're, if you're dwelling in that way, even if you don't act on those thoughts, he says you've actually committed adultery with her in your heart. Well, suddenly, it's not so easy to claim to be righteous, is it? <laughs> when you hear these, these deeper things of what Jesus is saying here. I mean, how many of us can say that we have never boiled with anger at someone? Or that we have never spoken an insulting or unkind word to someone? Or that we have never looked lustfully at someone who wasn't your spouse? We live in a world that it is almost impossible to avoid that. It's thrown in your face, right? The, that, that stuff. And and so what Jesus is doing here, he's, he's broadening, he's deepening the intent of these two commandments to not address just our actions, but also our words and our thoughts and even our heart attitudes. So to show the kind of greater righteousness that Jesus says is characteristic of those in the kingdom of heaven, our righteousness cannot just be on the surface. He says it needs to go deep down into our hearts where it is, is flowing out of, of our hearts. But when we dig down to that heart level, 
we realize that in both of these cases, there is something even deeper. Something even deeper than anger and lust. Why do we get angry with people? Why do we lust? Well, to pull up the deepest roots of these weeds of murder and adultery, anger and lust, we have to go behind even the anger and the lust to see what causes those internal sins. And to understand that, I'm going to give you an illustration. I love to drink coffee. Um, amen. I love that coffee in the morning. You know, I, I need it. Um, but here's the thing. If coffee is the, the primary liquid that I'm drinking on a given day, and I'm only drinking coffee, I often find that my mouth feels dry and I get thirsty. Um, and so what I'm tempted to do when that happens is to drink more coffee to try to quench my thirst, you know, because I like the taste of coffee. But, but if I do, guess what happens? It only makes things worse. Because there's a reason for this. Coffee will initially moisten your mouth when you drink it, but that immediate effect is misleading because the caffeine in the coffee causes fluids to pass through your body more quickly than usual. It's a diuretic. I looked that one up, you know. To, uh, <laughs> so your, your body will, will discard the fluid before it takes all the liquid that it needs. And so the best way to quench your thirst is to drink water. That's what your body needs, right? It needs water. But for me, it can be very easy to be drawn to coffee because I like the taste and I'm somewhat addicted to the caffeine, if I'm honest as well. But coffee won't quench my thirst in the way that water will. And so there's something similar happening when we get angry or we lust. What, what happens is we have a natural thirst for certain things in our lives. We have a thirst for a sense of value and respect and acceptance, right? We want that, right? We want to have a sense of value and acceptance. We have a, a thirst for intimacy and pleasure and joy. And, and, and these thirsts are not bad thirsts, right? It's not bad to want to be valued and accepted. It's not bad to want intimacy and joy. But our tendency is to try to satisfy those legitimate thirsts with things that won't actually satisfy the thirst. Drinking coffee instead of water. We start looking for things that we think is going to satisfy that thirst, but we're doing it, and actually the thing is never going to, it's never going to satisfy it, right? Like coffee won't actually do it. We need water. For example, um, you have a thirst for acceptance, a thirst for respect, right? Feeling valued. You want that. But then someone doesn't show you respect or acceptance. So someone cuts you off in traffic, right? And you feel offended, right? That they would cut you off, right? You're uh, you're, you're, they're not respecting you. Uh, maybe you don't get invited to a certain gathering or a party, right? You feel offended that, that someone left you out. Um, or, or you feel like someone is, is taking you for granted, you know, that, that they don't value you. They're not giving you the affirmation that you're looking for. And so you're not getting the things that you're thirsty for, right? You want acceptance. You want respect. You want value. And, and someone's not giving it to you. And so what do you do? Well, a natural response is to get angry, Right? To get angry with that person for not giving you the respect that you think you deserve, for not giving you the, the, the affirmation that you're wanting. And, and, and so you may lash out at them, speaking harsh, unkind words, and you feel anger in your heart towards that driver that just cut you off or towards that person who, who, who didn't invite you to that thing. 
And oftentimes our anger, especially when we express it to that person, what we're doing is we're trying to force the other person to give you the, dis- the, the, the respect and, and acceptance that you deserve, right? You're, trying to, you're yelling at them because you think they, they need to give it to you, but guess what you're doing when you do that? You're drinking coffee because you're trying to get the respect from that person that they're never going to give you, right? You're not going to get the, accept, acceptance that, the, the acceptance you're looking for when, you're, when you keep going to the same person that's not giving it to you, right? You're not going to satisfy the thirst. And if you allow that anger to build inside of you and you feel that bitterness toward that person who's not giving you what you're looking for, guess what? The ultimate end point is going to be murder. That's how murder happens. Someone feels so angry with that person that eventually they say, I, I need to take their life, right? Murder doesn't just happen, usually. Oftentimes there's a whole process behind it that has led to that point. It builds from anger, and anger builds from a thirst for something that's not getting satisfied. You look at shooters that happen, these mass shootings, oftentimes what's behind that is this anger, this resentment that leads that person to to do that, to take someone's life because they're not getting what they're looking for, right? Something similar happens with lust. We have a legitimate thirst for intimacy and and pleasure and joy. That's not a bad thing to want, but we're surrounded by messages in our culture that tell us that we can satisfy those thirsts through lust, through pornography, through fantasizing about someone, through, through developing an unhealthy emotional bond with someone who isn't your spouse. And, but here's the thing, when you, when, you, when you go to those things, it's drinking coffee. You're not going to be satisfied, right? You're, you're trying to fill that void, but it's only going to make you thirstier. And suddenly you find yourself addicted to, to porn or, or having an emotional affair with someone who, who that could easily, where can that eventually lead? It can lead to a physical affair, right? Adultery doesn't just happen. It starts with unmet needs that can grow, and you begin to find ways to fulfill those needs in unhealthy ways, and, and all of a sudden, eventually, you go down the road, and, and you've actually committed adultery. It builds from lust. Lust builds from a thirst for something that isn't being satisfied. So what is the answer to all this? How do we dig up those deepest roots of murder and adultery in our heart? How do, how do we quench the thirsts that often will lead to anger, that will lead to lust? Well, with our physical thirst, what do we need to do? We need to drink water. We need to not drink the coffee, right? We need to drink the water, the thing that's actually going to satisfy us. And so in a similar way, there is something that will quench the thirst for those deeper longings in our lives, but that something is actually a someone. It is Jesus. Jesus alone will satisfy those longings that we have in our hearts. And so my final point today is to look at how Jesus satisfies our thirst and uproots our sin. How is it that Jesus actually is the solution to this? How does he do this? Well, he he does this through the gospel. He does it through what he has done for us through his life, death, and resurrection. Because what, what does the gospel say to us? The gospel says that even though we are not righteous, 
even though we get angry and we lust, and even though we try to satisfy our longings by turning to these other things that won't satisfy us, even when we do that, even when those things are all true of us, God still loves us. And he forgives us for not being righteous. And he forgives us for trying to satisfy those things through turning to these other things. He forgives us for our anger. He forgives us for our lust. He forgives us because he has died for those sins on the cross in our place. And so the judgment that Jesus spoke about for anyone who's angry with a brother or sister, right? He said that, 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 that you deserve the judgment of hell when you do that. Guess what? Jesus took that judgment for us. On the cross, he took that judgment of hell upon himself on the cross. The fire of hell that Jesus warned about, he experienced that on the cross. As he said, Father, my, father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced that forsakenness in our place. He was bearing our sin upon himself, our sins of anger and lust and murder and adultery. And because Jesus was willing to go through that for us, guess what we get to receive? We get to receive all of the things that we really thirst for. Because Jesus died for us, guess what? You are now accepted. You get the acceptance and the respect and the affirmation that you're longing for, that you're looking to other people for. And Jesus says, I accept you completely in Christ. It's all yours. There's nothing you have to do for it. There's nothing that you can do to remove it. I accept you. I love you. You are mine. We are given the ultimate value as sons and daughters of God because Jesus has won that value for us. And we also have the greatest intimacy with God because Jesus was willing to experience rejection and separation from the Father so that we could be brought together with our Father and so now we can have true pleasure and joy with the very God of the universe, the one who has created us, the one who we're created to enjoy. And, and so that is all yours in Christ. And so when we receive these blessings from Jesus, when we actually begin to satisfy our thirst with water, with the God who actually will satisfy us, with, with Jesus and what he's done for us in the gospel, guess what happens? We no longer need to look to these other things to satisfy our thirst because our thirst is already satisfied. So if someone doesn't accept us, someone disrespects you, you don't need to respond with anger anymore because your acceptance and value is secure in Christ. You don't need their acceptance. You're already accepted perfectly. Right? When you are offered the false promise of intimacy, joy, and pleasure through lust, guess what? You don't need that anymore because you have, the accept, you have the intimacy and joy of what Christ has done for you that you can rest in and rejoice in and enjoy. And this is how Jesus uproots our sin. He quenches our thirst with himself. And that means that those roots of sin are no longer being fed. They're no longer being fed by those things. Anger can't grow when disrespect and rejection from us, from others, doesn't bother us because we're satisfied in Jesus. 
And, and lust can't grow when we're finding our joy and intimacy and pleasure in our walk with Jesus and also in God-honoring, God-centered relationships that he gives to us. And for some, that, that might mean marriage, right? If you're finding your fulfillment in that, that, that marriage relationship or if you're finding it in, in friendships with other believers or you're experiencing that sense of intimacy and togetherness, right? That's the way that God can bring some of that into our lives. Here's an illustration that kind of gives you know, a picture of this. When, when we lived in Brooklyn, in front of our house, um, we had a small little patch of soil there, right? It wasn't really a front yard. It was sort of like this little patch, right, that was, uh, had this little fence around it. And, um, and, and then we also had this flower box that, that hung in front of our window there. And, uh, and one of the first years that we lived in this house, um, we decided that we were going to plant these four bushes in that front patch, which you can kind of see in that picture there. And so we, we added some new soil, and we covered it with wood chips, and, and we watered those plants throughout the summer. Um, but that particular year, we did nothing with the flower box. You can probably see there, there's nothing in that flower box, right? There's no flowers there. Other years, we, we, did, we did plant some flowers in there, but that particular year, we, we didn't. And there was an interesting thing that happened. As, as the summer progressed, guess what happened? Well, those, those bushes in the front, they, they began to grow and blossom as they were watered and they were getting good, good, good soil. And, but what happened in the flower box is that we, we got a, a great variety of weeds that grew in that flower box, right? Lots of weeds that started springing up into there. You see, what had happened is that, that, that we, we, we nurtured and, and, and we, we cared for those plants, those, those bushes there, but we ignored the flower box. And when we ignored the flower box, what happened? Weeds just started growing all by itself. When the gospel is growing in our hearts and being fed, when Jesus is satisfying our thirsts, there won't be as much room for weeds to grow, right? Because we're being satisfied in Christ, because there's good fruit that's being produced in our lives. But when we neglect the gospel and we ignore Jesus, and we allow our thirst to be fed by those other things, guess what? We get a flower box full of weeds that starts growing in there when we're not actually being rooted in the gospel. And then eventually those weeds can lead to those, those pretty obvious sinful actions. So how do we nurture the growth of the gospel in our hearts? How do we guard against feeding the growth of those weeds? Well, one of the ways is that we come to church and we hear the gospel proclaimed. Every day, every week, right, we hear the good news of what Christ has done for us so that we can hear that gospel and realize, oh man, why am I looking to these other things out there? Right? Why, am I, why am I chasing after these things that are not going to satisfy, that I'm just going to make me more thirsty? Let me find my fulfillment in Christ. But there's also just a couple things that Jesus says in the passage that, I, that, that, that are kind of some, some very, they're, they're actually very vi- kind of um, tangible and, and vivid illustrations of some principles that can help with this, to help have the gospel grow in our hearts rather than these weeds. Um, So verses 23 and 24, Jesus says this. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave the gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. What Jesus is saying here is is that when you are quick to reconcile, when you recognize that there's, there's some anger starting to grow, there's some division starting to grow, if you're quick to reconcile, guess what? It will cut off the anger at the root, right? 
It'll cut, off, it'll cut it off. So this is a very practical way that Jesus says, be quick to reconcile. Don't let the anger fester. Right? Even if you're on your way to worship and you recognize that, that someone's got something against you, drop your gift at the altar, go and be reconciled first. Right? So you can have that clear conscience as you come into worship, as you come to offer uh, your sacrifice. He's, he, he brings it to the legal realm in, in verse 25. He says, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still with him on the way. Jesus says, be, be so quick to reconcile with, with someone who maybe is, has something against you that, that you settle things even before you get to court. Try to work it out. Don't let that anger and that fester and, and that sort of pride get in the way. He says, deal with it right away. The practice of reconciling with people quickly is a way to counteract that anger growing in your heart. When you don't reconcile but let things fester, there's a much greater danger of anger growing in your heart toward that person and that person toward you. And once again, what helps us to reconcile quickly? The gospel. When we recognize that God has reconciled us to himself quickly, that he was willing to reconcile us to himself, then, then that should lead us to say, how can I not want to reconcile with this other person in my life? In verses 29 and 30, Jesus says, he, here he is, these really stark images, right? He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, Jesus here, he is using some high hyperbole, some, some sort of exaggerated language to kind of make a point. He's not actually advocating literal dismemberment here, but what he's doing is he's, he's making a strong image to help you understand that when we are dealing with something like lust, we need to be willing to take drastic action to cut it out of our lives, right? To cut it at the root. Um, he, he, that, some, that sometimes if, there, if, it's, if there's something that's nurturing the growth of that sinful weed in your life, you need to cut it out. You need to take up the root. And so if there is a particular place or a time or a situation that often leads you to turn to lust to satisfy your thirst, cut it out. Just take it out completely, right? Don't go to that place. Don't find yourself into that situation. Jesus says, in order to cut it out, you got to take drastic action. Instead, Fill that space, that time, that situation with drinking water, with going to Christ, right? Going to him, going to his word, going to spend time in prayer. So Jesus, he's giving some very practical examples here, right? In a, in a, in a harsh, stark way to kind of say what he's talking about here is it's, it's serious. So as we close, don't worry, I'm not going to leave you just with like, cutting off your eyes and, and hands here, okay? Um, <laughs> What I want to leave you with is some gospel water to drink, okay? To give you something really good to go home with. But in order to hear that gospel and recognize how good it is, I'm going to ask you for a moment to dig deep and to recognize the ways that you've fallen short in these areas. And so, so here's a question. Have you responded in anger to someone recently? Have you lashed out at someone? Have you spoken a harsh word? Maybe, maybe you haven't been quick to reconcile. You've been sort of dragging your feet. You don't want to reconcile with that person. 
Maybe you've been trying to find acceptance and respect from other people, and when you're not getting it, it's, it's producing this anger and resentment in your heart. Is there something there the Holy Spirit's wanting to push into you a little bit and say, this is something that you need to deal with, you need to bring to me, to Jesus? Have you been trapped in lust recently? And instead of looking to intimacy with your spouse, if you're married, or or to deep connection with, with friends or, or closeness with God? Have you been looking to the false intimacy of lust? Have you been drinking on this thing that's not actually going to satisfy? Maybe that's manifested in, in, in thoughts. Maybe it's manifested in what you've looked at with your eyes. Maybe it's manifested in, in actions that you've taken. And so today you have the opportunity to be honest with God about the ways that we've fallen short in these areas. Because guess what? I have fallen short as well in my own life. And so here's an opportunity in this moment to, to just be honest with God, confess it to the Lord. Say, Jesus, I am sorry for pursuing these things that are never going to satisfy. And invite Jesus to pull up those weeds of sin in your heart. And as you do, hear the good news that Jesus has forgiven you. Whatever it is that you're confessing in your heart right now, Jesus has paid for it in full on the cross. He's taken it. He's paid for it in full. There's nothing for you to pay. He's already paid it. He washes you clean. He declares you righteous with Christ's righteousness, covering over whatever sin that was that you just confessed. And he graciously gives you all the things that you're thirsting for acceptance and value and intimacy and pleasure and joy. It's all yours in Christ. So hear that good news. Drink it in. Drink it in. It's for you. Christ has done it for you. And here's the thing. Keep drinking it in. Keep coming back to the cross. Keep coming to him and saying, Jesus, I need that gospel again. I need you again. And watch as you do. Watch the Holy Spirit transform your heart so those weeds of anger and lust, they just don't have much room to grow anymore because you're so satisfied in Christ and his gospel. And little by little, you will start to see the Holy Spirit producing this amazing fruit of a greater righteousness, a deeper righteousness in your heart, deeper than you might even imagine today. But the Holy Spirit can do it. It's his work. And so you can trust in that work in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, we confess, again, the ways that we have fallen short in these two areas and so again, even right now, as we just acknowledge that before you, Lord, the ways that we have fallen short of, we've been angry, we've lusted, we have spoken hurtful words, we have looked to things other than you to satisfy our deepest longings. Forgive us. Have mercy on us, Lord. And we thank you that as we come to you in that way, you proclaim to us that, that we are forgiven. You've shown us that mercy in Jesus on the cross. And so help us to rest in that, to walk out of this, this service today not feeling defeated, 
not feeling downcast because of the ways that we have fallen short, but walking forward with boldness, saying, I am forgiven. I am cleansed. I am righteous in Christ. And that we would just dwell in that place, Lord, to look to you and your righteousness and all that you've done for us. And that as we look at you, Lord, that all these other things, these other things that are chasing after us would just fall away. And when we fall into them again, even later this week, that we'd be quick to come back to you and say, Jesus, give me your gospel again. Give me your forgiveness again. I need it. I need it every day. I need it every hour. I need it every moment. And so help us to drink deeply upon your salvation, your forgiveness, your grace, Lord. And in doing that, Lord, change our hearts. Transform us through your Holy Spirit. Produce the fruit in us that only you can produce. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.